Welcome to the Soulful Sound Podcast. This podcast is about celebrating the leaders, teachers, and coaches who guide fellow humans to connect, heal, and discover themselves so they can express their gifts into the world. I am Simone Niles, a coach, sound healer, vocalist, and author. Thank you for being here with me today. Thank you so much for joining me today. I am so honored to be joined by Nikki Slade. She is a leading pioneer in the field of chanting, core voice and sound work in the UK. Her mission is to provide an empowering and safe space that unconditionally encourages individuals to connect with their true inner voice so that they may transcend all limiting beliefs that prevent their authentic and free self-expression. <sighs> I love that. I would love to lean into that a little bit more and just to know how your journey started with sound and voice and you know how you came into the chanting. I'd love to know about your story there. Mm. Well, first of all, it's such an honor to be invited. Um, we've got a long journey together many years yes. now and it's just a pleasure to be here so thank you oh my pleasure um, hello going. everybody yay <laughs> <laughs> um well really um i didn't have any of that mm. in my early early life and um i was definitely seeking connection i probably didn't have that as a coherent thought but it felt like there was always something missing a certain voicelessness mm -hmm. and a deep search for a direction uh, to find what I was truly about. I found um, connection in general very, very uh, challenging. You know, I used to feel a bit like an outsider in my contemporary groups at school, went through a lot of bullying like many children do and became a bit of a chameleon actually you know mm. to survive I would change my accent even wow. to belong to be accepted mm. you know I'd think what you'd think if that meant you would stay off my back mm -hmm. uh, but all the all the while I was betraying myself I was not to my own self true or authentic except that I knew that there was an authenticity in there I just didn't have the courage or the confidence to access it as a young person. Mm. So I, I lost my way um, through my teens. Um, and, you know, by the time I got to kind of 16, I was using the addictive route mm -hmm. to connect and try and make sense of it all. Mm. And that worked for a bit, like a kind of a Band-Aid. Um, mm -hmm. And I looked for myself in others um, and then by the time I got to 27 years old, everything came tumbling down and I was like, there's got to be a way because the answer is not in all of these external things. And I was harming myself physically, you mm. know, through alcohol, through drugs. Yeah. Uh, I'm very candid about this. I've written mm. about it in my book, The Healing Power of Chanting, mm -hmm. uh, really for relatedness because many of us have this kind of soul search so yes. um, in 1987 uh, I was in a uh, West End musical in my previous incarnation as an actress mm. and um, 
you know that was that was the answer I thought actually to to be to become other people mm-hmm. that was the way to know yourself was to be other people and uh, you know I went to drama school and all of that and uh, acted professionally for a number of years but that particular show there was um, quite a well-known um, actor who had a practice of chanting mm-hmm. and I was really drawn um, to her there was something about her energy her vibration um, that on a level I recognised and um, I basically asked her where I could explore this and so Mm. you know one day um, she not only introduced me to that particular path but she also introduced me to her singing teacher because during that show I um, developed vocal modules on my chords because I wasn't singing correctly Uh, I was doing a lot of quite rigorous audience participation Mm. and um, so I called I called her up and I said look you know what where what should I do and she said you need to go and see uh, my teacher very extraordinary lady funnily enough I've just done a tribute to her because she sadly passed away this month she at the grand age of uh, 1989 mm. uh, 1989 the grand age of 89 I was mm. thinking of 1989 because yes. <laughs> that's when a very big experience of mine happened but yeah bless her Helena mm. Chanel um, she was the most extraordinary uh, teacher and mentor to me and to many well-known singers mm. you know people like Shirley Bassey George Michael Annie Lennox Lulu yes you know the list goes on and she was just very brilliant at um, teaching in a way that you know that I could relate to and understand and she saved me really from having to have a uh, operation mm. on my vocal cords which I dreaded as you can imagine you know of course, yes. as a singer to to have anyone near your throat so mm-hmm. I did everything that she suggested you know I warmed up she said we're going to sing through the problem you know wow and um, to cut long story short, these nodules disappeared after six months of this specific, specific way of training. Mm. Um, and then she also was uh, practicing uh, this meditation path that had chanting as well. And so to cut a long story short, I went along one evening kind of was fascinated in the late 80s can you imagine I mean that was so wacky and out there mm. to go and sit and chant of an evening you know that only the Hare Krishna community really did that in yeah. London yeah. and you certainly as a white person that was very very eccentric to do mm. that but I uh, something within me just loved it and I bought cassette tapes as they were called yeah. yes in those days I remember cassettes. yes do interrupt at any time because I'm on a roll here. oh please yes you, I'm you want me to draw a breath no will... you're doing brilliantly okay. I'm really interested to hear what you have to say okay all right so I took these cassette tapes home and I was between acting jobs at that time mm. working in a delicatessen in Wandsworth and um really kind of despondent because I'd had no work for months Mm -hmm. and uh, I used to go home in the lunch hour because my my flat was only around the corner and I thought oh I know what I can do I can stick the chanting tape on and sing along with it this would be an amazing thing to do to cheer myself up between Mm. making other people's sandwiches you know (laughs) and so I did yeah and after about two or three days of this habit I started to 
have the most profound movements of energy inside. I started to get happier and happier and happier, mm. even blissful. And I would go back to work and it would be like, what do you want in your sandwich? You know, I was just <laughs> totally glowing and yes. uh, in, in, in such a good state inside. And I was just laughing because it, it was like, it didn't matter that I didn't have an acting job mm -hmm. because I was experiencing this deep fulfillment on the inside. Mm. And the experience got stronger and stronger. And I remember walking out of the shop one evening as the sun was setting and I just felt this complete oneness with this sunset in the middle of uh, East Hill in mm. Wandsworth. Mm. And um, I later realized that what I was going through was um, an awakening, a, a spiritual awakening. And this experience lasted for a month of my life. Um, that particular weekend, I went for a walk in Battersea Park mm. and I had continuous experiences of oneness it was absolutely obvious that you were me and I was you there mm. was there were, these were just bodysuits covering yes. the reality that mm. and that all we all all we are really is a vibration of love yes. and to experience I had no fear it was mm. so extraordinary I mean I was I had a, I remember I had a cloth cap on that day and I was dopping it <laughs> like something out of Oliver Twist. You know? I was in the pot, dopping my cap to everybody and, and just feeling so alive, so yes. alive, glisteningly alive. And then, because there was purification that needed to happen, um, I went through in that same experience some kind of cleansing, so some of the kind of unresolved darkness that was in me was coming to the surface. So that was the difficult bit. Mm. And the people around me, because I was behaving, quote-unquote, Oddly, they actually thought I was losing my marbles. I mean, I'm talking about my partner, my family, <laughs> what's going on with Nikki. And um, anyway, I, I won't go into the whole thing, but if anybody feels inclined to read my book, it's all in there. But yes. I spent, suffice to say, a month of my life in a hospital wing because of other people's loving but ignorant mm -hmm. idea of what was happening to me. I was going through spiritual emergence. Yes. What they all thought was happening is that I was having a nervous breakdown. Um, I was actually having a nervous breakthrough, as, right. that phrase, yes. as that phrase goes. Yes. But they didn't know. But I was sustained in this uh, rather Victorian hospital um, in Epsom mm. um, for people who were supposedly losing it. Um, but the interesting thing was I have total recall of that entire experience i mean even through the medication they prescribe which i'd avoid taking as much as possible mm -hmm. i had beautiful clarity i had experiences of prophecy things that have actually happened yes in uh, you know in some of the you know the, the tragedies that have happened like tsunamis and mm. you know earthquakes and you know all sorts of ruption ruptures in mother nature in fact I remember this voice came through me when I was supposed to be introducing a fashion show uh, a few weeks before I was admitted into that hospital mm. where the voice came through me, Mother Earth is weeping, we must act now. And 
you know, I was in such a free state that things would just come out of me. It was like the Kundalini, the spiritual mm. energy, just doing yes. her thing. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I was having prophecy, which, of course, scared people because I, I was just not editing myself because it seemed strange at the time. Yeah. Um, but I had great understandings and great blessings that, in that period. And it was like being in a monastery. Mm. And one day when I was sitting despondent as to why I'd been locked up in this place... You know, I kept saying, why? Why am I here? And um, I had this really extraordinary experience of this blue light that started to move inside me. And it took a form. Um, I probably was seeing it in my third eye or something. But the being was so beautiful. It was neither male nor female. It had an androgynous quality mm. with dew pouring down its face. And it was shaking its head like this. And it said, Dearest Nikki, all there is, all there ever was, and all there ever shall be is love. This is the purpose of your existence. Mm. And then I was shown video reel of people fighting in movies, people fighting in life, and the, how desperately sad it is that we've all forgotten what is yes. fundamentally real that we think all of this being right, winning, you know, mm -hmm. but, but the, this state of love was revealed to me. And um, I've never forgotten, of course, 1989, my great singing teacher dying at 89. But yeah, I've never forgotten that experience. So although that was over 30 years ago, mm -hmm. it's been my rod and my staff, no matter how challenging life yes. can be yes. to to go through. And um, so that was a very long way around of, ask, of answering your question about how I got into it. But I then realized that my vocation as revealed mm -hmm. inside was to create spaces where people could connect with their inner voice. Mm -hmm. And I soon after that gave up being in the theatre it had kind of run its course yes and uh, I began to create voice circles um, the first of which was in a holistic centre opposite Brixton prison which was always quite interesting because there were these men that were locked up in prison and yet so many of us are in an inner prison and mm -hmm. I, I remember thinking god wouldn't it be amazing to take my work Yes. into prisons and uh, I actually ended up doing that not, not at Brixton but at Wandsworth Men's Prison which was wow. interesting which is yes. where I had the awakening yes yes and um, oh my god I'll never forget the day I, I would be, I went into a wing where the, the crimes they had committed had been because of the influence of drugs and alcohol and that's really how I got in because I've done a lot of work with recovering mm -hmm. addicts with my own history as well and um, chanting with 16 men in a cell to mm. the Divine Mother. We were chanting Kali Durge Namo Namah, salutations to the goddess of victory over illusion. And, mm. and they were loving it. It was um, such an extraordinary moment. And they said, you know, we've never felt freer yes. in our time here than we have today chanting, chanting with you. Mm. And um, so... Yeah, so the work's gone into many varied environments, you know, as I say, addiction treatment programs, prisons, uh, many, many uh, general public settings, 
mm. yoga centers, um, you know, Troy Yoga, I've been resident kirtan or chant leader there for That's nearly it. 20 years. Mm. And, um, and then sometimes I've been invited into businesses to do like team building events. Mm-hmm. Um, but I never really um, push to get the work. I tend to get shown where, where the next, like, like you were saying, oh, I saw you doing that chant at heart. Well, I was just yeah. invited to do that. I never go like, where can I make sure that this happens next? And yes. I think this is what it's like when we're, when we're on our path. That's right. The, the opportunities tend to open up. But, you know, although people love, well, not but, and the people love the chanting um, because it's the food of love. Mm-hmm. It really is, and it opens that gateway within towards the inner self. Uh, for me, that is like the primordial ground for then uh, creating spaces, particularly with my one-on-one coaching these days, where mm. uh, I basically empower people to make a bridge between that primordial vibration and the life they're actually living day to day because I think and I'm sure this is your slant as well mm. is that it's it's wonderful yes to have a lovely connective experience in a studio or something of course but to be able to get out there and do your business with that experience of connection you know in the middle of conflict in the middle of Absolutely. you know covid coming and all these things is mm. is really um, when we see the precious fruits yeah. of, um, of an integrated practice that is bridged into normal living, I mm-hmm. think. And I'm curious because there's so many nuggets in your story so far. There's a lot of um, really beautiful experiences, even within, as you say, the conflict and so on that have ha- has happened. And I want to know if you, if there's a point that you can perhaps pinpoint or um, recognize in this space when you we're going through your spiritual awakening um you you mentioned that point where you you know you weren't having a filter there was no filter there or anything like that that's just what was happening but it was misunderstood on the outside yes so what what changed in that for you where you were able because for you you were completely just going through the experience even though you were you know put away into a hospital and all of this Mm. but what was the point where you where that shifted where that filter was reflected differently externally? What a brilliant question. Well, yeah, I mean, you see, if that experience had happened to me and I'd been in Mother India where this beautiful practice of kirtan comes from, full mm. reverence to the lineages of poets, saints in India, um, I would have been treated like I was undergoing a beneficial fever. Right. That I would have probably been dabbed with cold cloths, I would have had oil massaged into my feet Mm -hmm. I would have been given certain foods, somebody would have sat with me as a a loving witness if I got too high energetically, somebody might have been there to soothe, whereas here we don't understand any of that, you know, we actually need spiritual emergence centres so in answer to your question, what happened was, by about week two in the hospital I suddenly got that exact point I got oh my god if I keep an unedited stream of consciousness coming Mm. out of my mouth people think I'm mad Mm. if my mother brings me a brand new pair of pajamas from an M&S and I give those pajamas to this like 
guy called Sid who'd been in that institution for 20 years and he didn't look like he'd had any new presence or anything. That looks mad to people, you know. So I learned that the gifts that I was given to keep them for myself, mm. um, I stopped saying out loud some of the prophecies that mm. I was hearing. Um, I had this unbelievable desire to serve. I kept asking the cleaners in the hospital if I could <laughs> use their brooms and their mops yes. or if I could serve the food at dinner hour. Um, and just real understandings, actually, about vegetarianism, actually, and, and not eating meat. I had very clear kind of... But you see, if I spoke that out loud, mm-hmm. that was considered cuckoos. Right. So I just learned to... Um, I guess toe the line. I mean, interestingly, I reviewed that classic film from the 1970s. Did you ever see it, Midnight Express? Yes, it's an old, yes. About the story of Billy Hayes, the drug mm-hmm. trafficker. But do you remember when he's literally at rock bottom and he goes to the the sanitarium, is it? Where, yeah. where all the crazy people go and yeah. they all walk the wheel. Mm-hmm. And you're kind of considered in with a chance <laughs> if, if you walk the wheel. Yes, you know? yes. So... Effectively, I was walking the wheel. Right. Till they kind of, in their books, were that she's 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 ready ready. for release. Mm. You know, I took my medicine promptly. I didn't. I didn't. I didn't insult the psychiatrist Mm. or, you know, and um, and eventually I was let out. Uh, But I'll tell you a little anecdote of when I did come out. Mm. So when you come out of a place like that, you're still considered like you've been a patient and. So I had this um, out-visitor uh, psychiatrist who would come to my house regularly. Yeah. And she said, um, Nikki, it would be really wonderful if you would be willing to be um, a, um, what can we say, an act-as-if patient for our junior psychiatrists who are coming up to taking their exams. Mm. And so basically you would say what your experiences have been and then they have to diagnose you according to their studies Mm. now I naively thought maybe I could make a difference maybe this was my moment to illuminate the system or something (laughs) so I I went to Springfield Hospital in uh, Wandsworth to sit this examination I remember she was called Vicky there was Vicky and Nikki (laughs) so she just would say you know what happened I said well I used to hear these voices that were prophecy things and you know and I'd have visions and you know I was talking very kind of from the heart Mm. so she was writing away and everything anyway end of her exam she then had to go into an office with me with this senior psychiatrist who looked like Charles Gray out of the James Bond films he had that sort of jet white hair you know and you expect expect him to have a big gold ring on his finger (laughs) the white coat pristine Start stark shirt and pale blue tie, you know. Right. And so he said to Vicky, he said, So Vicky, he said, So what do you think seems to be the issue with this uh, patient? And so she said, Well, I think she's had an episode of psychosis. So he goes, Oh yes, and um and Nikki, would you say that you've had an episode of psychosis? And I said, Well, I don't really know, to be honest. And he said, well, what happened to you? And so I said, well, I, you know, he said, yes, Vicky tells me you heard some voices. Where, where do you think these voices came from? And I said, I'm not sure, to tell you the truth. And he said, 
well, they didn't come from the bathroom cupboard, did they? You know? <laughs> and then I realised, oh, my God. It was like that M. Scott Peck book, People of the Lie. Um, that where, oh, God, classic, classic mm-hmm. author exposing the lies that go on. But it's really in the veil of ignorance. Yes. Like he was speaking through the veil of his own understanding. And I knew, actually, when I got into that hospital, I remember my family were one side of the glass and all the stiff coats. And I was in this wheelchair being wheeled to my dorm or whatever. But I got a vision of Alice through the looking glass. And an inner voice said, you will never go back to the other side of that glass again. Mm. So they can't see what you're seeing. Yeah. It's a very lonely place at times because, you know, once you've seen through the veil, Mm -hmm. it is a privilege, but you can't expect everybody to understand. And that's where, in the end, I had a lot of love and compassion for everyone in that hospital because to the best of their ability, all the people that gave me food, there were some charming nurses in there. My my favourite nurse was called Fred, who's a... Jamaican guy and and I used to get bored and I said can we go shopping and he used to occasionally take me into Epsom to the local supermarket and I was Mm. fascinated that he was buying chicken and stuff and buying food that was different to what I was having to dinner yeah and I said oh do you go home in the evening he went yeah I go home and I was like wow because you know I've been in there for an infinite amount of time I felt and I couldn't believe Mm. that there was a but they were very kind people like him yes and I just realized that you know we're all operating according to our awareness and understanding yes so obviously that was a very etheric kind of experience Mm -hmm. but it has as I say been like a guiding light the last kind of 30 years because you know I have a big ego like everybody and I'm going through my life lessons. Yeah, uh, but however challenging it gets, I always remember that connection, that it is there yes. behind the veil of clouds. And mm. and I think the ability to sort of hear people in really rough places is, is actually strengthened the way I work in many ways. I'm sure. That is beautiful. And I, you know, when we think historically of witches being burned at the stake and the things that they were burned for, I mean, our where we are in society now, a lot of us would have been burned by now, um, which I'm sure for some, in reality, that's what it still feels like. As we say, we are where we are and our awareness is just where it is. Yes. Um, and so with your... Um, with let's say now we know that the world certainly the western world is not a lot more open to spirituality and a lot of different traditions and so on and so forth um i know for me so i'd be curious to know if it's the same for you in the work that i do that very often when i have messages coming through when i'm doing healing sessions and things like this that i always use my intuition and ask for instruction on what to share because some things you know need to come through and some things I suppose you don't need to share. Um, and I trust, for me, it's about trusting my intuition on what that person in front of me needs me to be the catalyst for. So would you say that now things have moved on? Certainly, you know, you've been through a long um, a long journey of this kind of work, that that's where it is for you now. So it's not necessarily that you share everything because it's not everyone's necessarily has the, have the ears to hear it or ready to listen, but you go into that intuitive part of you that says, yes, Simone needs to hear this now. 
Definitely. I mean, the, the first title I came up with for my work all those years ago was Free the Inner Voice. Yes. And the importance of listening to the inner voice. I mean, in the context of this interview, I don't always share in quite the depth that I have with you, but, mm. you know, we, we chanted together beforehand, didn't we? We did, And yeah. um, I just trust that, yes. you know, this is what's supposed to come out for this interview. Beautiful. Um, you know, I, I did an interview last week in honour of my beloved teacher actually on Radio 4 and I didn't mention probably even a third of, mm. of what I've talked about with you um, so that you're right there is always um, an appropriate word for the appropriate space and mm. for the appropriate being that's in front of you and you know I'm always I chant first then the client comes whether online or in person and I just ask to be given the right, uh, you know, guidance as to what's best, yes. what's the best approach. Mm. And it always comes, yes. you know, if I listen. And it actually, really, it's client-led because I'm just following the music. Mm -hmm. You know, you're just listening for the stuck chords yes. within them. You know, um, there's a beautiful book by Hazrat Inayat Khan called the music of life and where he says that we're all instruments mm. of one big orchestra and if we are not true to the instrument that we are born with the, the world is, is a little less well off mm -hmm. so I'm always listening for what instrument is this person that's in front of me what is the melody mm. that they were born to play because often you know you've got somebody who was born to be free and travel the world writing books maybe and maybe they're stuck in a marriage that you know has been given to them by family influence or mm. whatever mm. and you know they've come at that point in their life to maybe find the courage to move on to the next level of their destiny but they haven't quite known how to do it Yes, and, and it's not like I will ever tell anyone mm. you must do this but I create the space in such a way that they can hear for themselves mm. what's the next step on their on their trail um, yeah yeah it's a fascinating process isn't it the best the best thing really isn't it is that we get out of the way yes of ourselves and then the river tends to kind of just come up with the inspiration doesn't it absolutely I mean I relate very much and for me I talk a lot about getting in tune you know it's like we sometimes have dissonance and dissonance is needed to shift things but when we can get back into the essence of what is actually the frequency the natural frequency that we're here with that sound print that we all have then that is that's phenomenal um yeah. and I and I love that I, love, I mean, I, I definitely know your work and I know some of the similarities, but I love that you use mantra. So a lot of the stuff that I do vocally right now is very improvised, very channeled, and I use my tuning forks and my other instruments. So I want to know a little bit more about the mantra specifically using the, the you know, the words and all of the beautiful um, melodies and vowel shapes and things that bring this, you know, sacred utterance out. And I want to know a little bit more about that, especially for those listening who don't know about this kind of work. Very, very good question. Yeah, so mantra really means instrument of the mind. So when we have still meditation, we're relying on our breath 
mm. to become still within. And particularly for Westerners and particularly people who struggle with addiction, even if it's just technology addiction, yes. you know, slowing the mind down can be extremely challenging. Mm-hmm. So when you have a mantra to repeat, it gives you a direction in your meditation. And mm-hmm. then when you add melody to that, so the the chants are based or inspired by rags, which are beautiful scales that were originated thousands of years ago in India and they all have a a different effect on the mood of your being you know some um, some miss out certain notes some are more minory some more major Mm. Uh, but the combination of those melodies plus the mantra itself and then the rhythm um, obviously, the drum is the instrument of the heart. Um, when you combine all of those, uh, you can come into that space of inner connection and stillness much more easily. Mm-hmm. And you actually connect with states of bliss, inner bliss. Even the ecstatic can be connected with. And along the way, you know, as I mentioned before, it is purifying. So sometimes when you chant mantra, if you've been holding on to emotion to a particular emotion mm. around a storyline for a long time, sometimes that can get shaken up and suddenly the tears start mm-hmm. coming and you didn't even realise because the mantra is very authentic. It will go straight to where there is a constriction inside. Or sometimes there can be a rush of agitation. Well, sometimes you go into a void where there's a sort of a blackness of a place you didn't want to visit again. Right. But actually, it's really important that that comes out. Mm. Um, but every time you repeat mantra, um, you have a different experience because we're never in the same place internally mm. when we come to the practice. And there is a point where you don't need to chant anymore because you've already arrived. You know, if you're if you're already in that state of inner bliss, you don't want to be overboiling, mm-hmm. you know, because mm-hmm. some people can go just because they like being high or whatever. Yes. <laughs> but, it's, but it's actually really important to just know when to just ground. In fact, yes. grounding is very, very important in the mm-hmm. practice. You know, you want to be able to be in the world. Yes. Maybe but not of it, but definitely not floating out. Yeah, of course. Know. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and what are some of the grounding practices that you use or recommend? Um, Well, obviously, asana practice, you know, any of the grounding yoga poses, Mm -hmm. um, you know, uh, sun salutations is very good. Um, Qigong, Mm -hmm. you know, is Mm -hmm. a very good practice. Um, You know, or just simply walking in nature Mm -hmm. before you lead, um, making sure that you eat food that's rooted, mm-hmm. you know. Um, funnily enough, practices like washing steel pots is a very, you know, anything that just puts you back into the body yes. is is really important. Mm-hmm. Yes, walking in nature is my, one of my favourites. I go out to the forest every week. Do you? Oh, yes. lovely. And it's it's beautiful. My One of my sons, loves he loves to go in the forest as well and just sit down in the trees and... So it's a beautiful practice. But yes, grounding is super important. I absolutely love that and agree. Um, You spoke in your work about the sacred cord. 
I'd love to know more about that. What is the sacred cord? Mm. And just speak to me on that on that a little bit. Um, <laughs> well, you know, when you listen to a piece of music and you suddenly hear that chord and you know that chord's coming up, like Stevie Wonder's got a lot of music where there's mm. a particular chord that comes out. You say, that is the, that that's is the money there. <laughs> yeah. And you're just, just like, your heart's exploding. Mm. Just, just where it goes from one to the other. Yes. So there's that in music. In the, what I call the sacred chord, when you tap it, you've touched the chord of the inner self, mm. which is the chord of absolutely everything. Your, where you are vibrating with consciousness. Mm. And you know that you're playing the sweetest note mm. and that you are that note. You're not even playing it. You've merged with it. And it's the place where all other chords come from. It's, yeah. the, it's, it's the chord where language comes from, where every emotion comes from, every melody, mm. every impulse. And it's such an incredible privilege even just to touch it once or twice in a mm. lifetime and I certainly in that month of my life touched it so I, I know it exists Yes, you know I move away from it because life pulls me in currents like all of us Yes, but to have that reference that there is a place there is a treasure within that is always there mm. and it's all of our birthright it is our true nature you know when you say you go to the forest at weekends mm. at some level you're going there i would suspect because it reminds you of that sacred cord within yeah it brings you 100%. close to it brings you close to it you know yeah it's this connection you know i was in greece in august for a weekend it was the first time that i was in water well in the sea for a very long time and coming from the caribbean growing up with beaches and the water mm. around i mean i missed it i'm not a big a massive fan of pools but i really missed the sea so i went into the sea and i had what a wonderful experience where i was floating and that week was i was spending it with a friend and there was a lot of ritual a lot of sacred moments it was beautiful um you know sisterhood and i was floating in the water and you know you floating requires surrender but i let go for a lot longer than i you know, my mind had said to at that point, there were big, big rocks in the sea, there were other people around, but I just knew that I could just let go and just not even hold on to anything. Mm. And there was a moment of expansion where the only way I could describe it is to say that I felt like I became the sea. I wasn't, I wasn't even floating on it. I wasn't, there wasn't separation, as you say, I just felt just, I was just part of it all. Yes, I love that. When I, when I'm because I train people to lead kirtan now, mm. and often where I'm working with the breath, I often ask them to envisage a cave, like their mm. mouth is a cave, and like yes. it's the the breath is like the ocean coming mm. in, the ocean coming out, and it's a simply a matter of allowing. It's not something that we do. Yes, and so there are a lot of analogies I mm. think to the ocean breath ocean mantra mm -hmm. the ocean of consciousness um and greece i go to every year apart oh, from wow. this year because of covid yes. you went and i didn't lucky you uh, but so often i've laid in the mediterranean sea mm. and i've heard mantras i've literally had to literally run out of the beach 
to record a melody Something that's suddenly that, downloading mm-hmm. while I'm lying on my back in the water, you know? I love that. Mm. I love that. And because I know that all mantras have their, you know, their unique um, meaning and have their own unique frequency, it might be a funny question to ask, but I'm curious because you've been doing this for so long. Do you have a handful that are your favorites? Is there something that you're always drawn to or is all of it just, of course, accessible and you just go where you're guided to go? Very good question. Well, my favorite mantra of all time, I always come back to it, is Om Namah Shivaya. Mm. This mantra means I bow to or I merge with my true self. Um, however, I have so many melodies for this particular mantra. So even though it's the same mantra, I would never chant the same melody mm. because that's what shifts the kind of vibration the kind of note notation, the kind of patterns yes. uh, that are appropriate on the particular day. So I've probably got about at least 50 different melodies to that chant. Mm. Um, but it's one I always start my kirtan evenings with because it brings everybody into a sense of unity. Mm. Um, and then... Probably my two favorite after that are Kali Durge Namo Nama. I think mm-hmm. I mentioned that. Yes. Kali, the goddess of time, timelessness, she takes us through the void into the infinite. And then there's Durga, her counterpart, who is known as the one who's difficult to approach because she, you know, she's very intolerant of our delusions. She'll cut us free, you know. So mm. if we go to her authentic, you know, she'll mm. take us into a great state. And then Sri Ram, J Ram, J J Ram. I love the Ram because Ram is the light, is the beloved. Mm. Um, but you know, um, there's a point where you let go of the words completely. Yes. And it's the state. That's what I'm most passionate about in the end. Not the means to the state, mm-hmm. but the state of blissful consciousness awareness that 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 place that is so free that it doesn't matter whether you're just sitting on a bench looking into space whether you're cooking a meal whether you're driving the car mm. whether you're giving an important speech whatever important is yes you realize that it's all one mm. and so the chanting in my intention when i lead is that that space creates that possibility for everybody Mm. I love that could I put you on the spot for us to do a little bit of any of those that you've listed on the Vakshibaya oh what you mean an a cappella without without any instruments or anything would you like an instrument um I I can I can probably do it a cappella um let me just see alright I'll have to tune but I I can also bring an instrument so let me let me bring one second time we can just have a dive we'll just do a few rounds sure uh, I don't have my drum here but we can just do a little bit here we go oh, 
Thank you. What a treat. Oh, my goodness. That was so fun. And, uh, of course, normally we'd have the drum coming in. But yes. We a little appetizer. Yes, absolutely. Uh-huh. Thank you so much for that. You can leave it there. It's brilliant. Oh, oh this has been so wonderful. I, I, you know, I always know that there um I have ideas as to things, as I said to you at the beginning, that would be good to ask you. And I always know and love when we're just guided into where we need to go, that conversation where the soul knows what needs to come forward. Mm. And I'm so grateful. I'm so super grateful for this and for you, Nikki, and all the work that you do. Um, You're welcome. I have one more question for you before uh, we wrap this part up. And that is, uh, how would you like to be remembered? Oh my goodness, that is such a cool question, isn't it? Um, As somebody who... left people with the sound of love somebody who left people with the sound of love Mm. I think you're already doing that oh well I pray so thank you that is so so beautiful just want to acknowledge you and really just celebrate you for all the work that you do and have been doing all of these years in helping people to do that to really come connect with themselves come back to that part where they can free their inner voice and just you know live with authentic and free expression so i'm so grateful thank you thank you and my final question that i ask all of my soulful guests is what is your soulful sound to the world? So that's a self prayer or desire that you wish for the world. So my prayer for the world is to come home to their own true self, that we may never be separated again. Thank you so much, Nikki. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you so much, Simone. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please feel free to share it with your friends and remember to subscribe. From my heart to yours, sending you love, healing, and sound wherever you are.